Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ashwarya, your host for this episode. And I'm Aryan. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features like merch, awesome extra episodes, early access episodes, video calls with us and more. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We also want to thank our newest patrons, Deepti Vijay Kumar, Mia and Shreya Dalal for helping us run this podcast. Your contributions mean the world to us. The case that we have for you today is mysterious, cultish and one that will leave you up at night and scared of venturing out into the dark alone. This is the story of a 27-year-old Irish journalist who came to India for a backpacking trip. a vacation he thought he was thoroughly enjoying until those who knew him couldn't reach him anymore this is the story of leonard jonathan spolin Before we start this episode I want to thank the BBC and especially Roland Hughes for his writing on Jonathan's life and his case. Roland Hughes was not only an associate editor for the BBC but also Jonathan's close friend and colleague, someone who had traveled the world with him. To Roland this case was personal and it's his work that has provided the most amount of information for this episode today. I don't think the listeners know this about me but I absolutely love solo backpacking. Basically I I love traveling but researching these cases has given me a tingle at the back of my mind that makes me double think how I'm going to do <laughs> what I'm going to do and just you know when I say stay crazy stay desi it just makes me think about how many crazy people are there in the world. Look what the podcast has done to Aryan, all of you. <laughs> But no, in all honesty, I think it's pretty true. There is something really scary about the unexplored hills, for example, or unwalked wildernesses, especially when you're alone. If you're alone and something does happen, there's absolutely no escape. Signals are spotty, population sparse, and dangers are very many. For example, in the United States alone, an astonishing six hundred thousand people go missing every year from national parks alone. But all of this didn't scare Leonard Jonathan Spolin, a young, passionate twenty-eight-year-old journalist from Ireland who wanted to travel the world, India included. But before we talk about Jonathan's trip to India, let's back up by about twenty-eight years. Jonathan was born in 1983 in a small middle-class suburb in the south of Dublin to a very loving parents, David and Linda Spolin. While Jonathan's parents separated when he was just a few months old, both his parents loved him incredibly and they were both pretty involved in Jonathan's life. 
Jonathan grew up in a loving yet humble household with both his parents also working very hard to give him what they considered a good life a life full of traveling a good education a life that would help him grow into a good human being and Jonathan was exactly that a good human being everyone who knew him described him as a very compassionate young person His parents mention in an article how when he was young his grandmother fell very sick and started to hallucinate a lot due to her illness and her medication. One of her most common hallucinations was seeing rats run across the room. Seeing her struggle a very young Jonathan would pretend to catch these imaginary mice in boxes and fake throwing them out of the room just to make his grandma happy. His friends too recount a number of experiences for example one was when they were all traveling to beirut on the beirut airport jonathan saw a filipino woman being scolded by the airport authorities for carrying too much luggage and there was some sort of a language barrier where this woman couldn't essentially understand what these authorities were saying to her so she clearly looked intimidated in an instant jonathan walked up to her and paid the 300 dollar extra luggage cost for the woman without any hesitation Throughout his life he gave his home opened his home up essentially to a lot of people on the streets that needed it His mom Linda and all his friends describe him as the perfect combination between a kind of a class clown and a nerd <laughs> He made everyone around him laugh had an absolutely wonderful sense of humor but he was thoughtful and spent time reading up about for example politics of the Middle East which he was very passionate about It was this nerdy side of him that pushed him to get an undergraduate education in political science from the University College in Dublin and a masters in Middle Eastern Studies from the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. His education and passion led him to very interesting jobs as a journalist across the world, first in Abu Dhabi working as a foreign editor for the National, then in Cairo in Egypt working as a journalist for the Daily Star. and then in hong kong working for the international herald tribune jonathan was actually living kind of what was the dream life and is a dream life for many journalists out there but jonathan wasn't just the quintessential intelligent he was also spiritual he liked his time alone he found peace in meditation and exploring the mind and living a simple life always intrigued him In 2010 for example he actually visited Indian administered Kashmir and told his friends and family that he was scared by how much he liked the life there and what he had witnessed he said quote the whole experience in fact was as confounding to my world view as it was enjoyable producing in me each day a lovely sort of confusion end quote Aran I feel like you're like this in many ways and our listeners may not know this but Aran actually regularly talks about how he'd love to spend a year in a monastery learning meditation away from people and traffic and the world and I'm the exact opposite of that I'd say more than a year but you're right um it's been one of those things where just imagining life bereft of modern day distractions and on that part you know that path of spiritual awakening mm-hmm. always just be it's such a it's such a intriguing idea my only thing with not becoming a monk is i i i feel that is selfish in a way where i have so much to give back to the community and 
I'd, I'd just be this self-occupied person. And so I, in my life, I'm looking for this right balance between having those spiritual inklings, but while still creating a podcast, being <laughs> a student, right. you know, doing um, regular life, life things. Um, yeah. Plus, I, I don't want to be... Um, celibacy is not my thing, so... Right. So, no, the way you're describing it from whatever I've been reading about Jonathan, it seems like he was a lot like that. He was obviously uh, living a very good life. He had a very good job. He was a young person. He was traveling the world. He was making new friends. But then there was just this part of him that almost longed for something else. Mm. And perhaps that is exactly what constantly drove him towards India. Some of our most significant spiritual leaders today have actually learnt what they know from countries like India, Nepal and Bhutan. Just an example, Aran, we've discussed this before, but Twitter founder Jack Dorsey, very ardent follower of Guru S.N. Goenka. Yeah, he is. And the founder of the app Headspace, for example, actually learnt his meditation from a Tibetan monastery in India. It's almost as if spirituality is ingrained very much into the Indian fabric, just as it is in the culture of a lot of Asian countries, which is something very different from countries in the West. I think when people talk about the soft power of South Asia and that, you know, fine hard power, which is economic might and things on those lines are something uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia is still competing with, still reaching, you know, the top echelon, which it, it hasn't quite. Right. It's the soft power that I think Asia, South Asia and Southeast Asia specifically possess that's unparalleled by countries across the world where there's this, there's this, as you said, a fabric of spirituality almost right. ingrained in the culture. Yep. And did you know, Aran, actually, while I was researching for this case, I found out that 6 million tourists come to India every year. God knows that's the population of how many countries across right? the world. That's a lot of tourists <laughs> to India. I didn't think that was the case. But right. So now in Jonathan's life, it's 2011 and Jonathan is working in Hong Kong as a copy editor for the International Herald Tribune. But this job simply doesn't fit. Jonathan, slowly approaching the age of 30, feels discontent, as though there's more he wants from his job, something more that he simply wants from his life, that he's just not getting. Over the course of the next few months, Jonathan begins seriously contemplating quitting, but he knows that if he quits, he won't simply join another job again. He wanted to take time to travel alone, especially to Nepal and India. So then finally, in late 2011, Jonathan quits his job, packs his stuff into a backpack and books a flight to Nepal. And his job is no low. He's a copy editor for yep. which giant media outlet you said? Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's not a small decision. He's an established person in a good career path on being a you know established journalist right no definitely it definitely was not a small decision and we'll see that over the course of the episode that because it was such a big decision this time in india and nepal put a lot of pressure on him to think about what he wanted to do next mm. it was really an important call that he had mm. to make for his own life after spending a few weeks in nepal jonathan moved on to india he spent some time in Varanasi, India's oldest inhabitable settlement, where he interacted quite a lot with a yogi named Prahlad Jani, 
a man who claims he's lived without food and water for 70 years meaning at the time living without food and water ever since 1940 this man actually died just in 2020 from an illness eventually jonathan moves to rishikesh the yoga capital of the world which sees hundreds of thousands of visitors coming in from foreign countries every year where jonathan was about to spend two full months In fact, as the BBC article points out in 1968, the Beatles actually visited Rishikesh when they came to learn transcendental meditation under the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. The group's month in the city according to this article was what is called one of the most creative periods in their history. These two months in Rishikesh were also going to be critical for Jonathan. He had to make a major life decision here. His mom Linda will eventually tell BBC, quote This was very much a time for him to decide whether he was going to continue in print journalism or going to documentaries. Time to reassess things and make a plan. End quote. It's now February of 2012 and Jonathan's visa for India is about to expire in just a few weeks. So for everyone in his friend circle and his family, Jonathan would be coming back soon. On the 3rd of February, Jonathan has a conversation with his mom, just a regular conversation, where he tells her that before going back, he wants to take a two-week long trek all alone. He says to his mom, quote, I want to do it on my own, kind of a spiritual thing, end quote. Some reports suggest that she asked him not to go alone, but he says going alone was the entire point of the trek. And regardless, His mom knows he needs this time on his own to think his life through and figure out what he wants to do next especially since his time in India was just about to get over. So she's very supportive of his decision to take this trek and hopefully come out of it having kind of discovered himself in a different way. 35 minutes after Jonathan tells his mom about this trek, she sends him a text saying, "Quote, have a wonderful experience and don't worry." We are 100% behind you. Go for it. Love you so much. Send me an I'm okay text as often <laughs> as possible. Some might get through. End quote. Send me an I'm okay text is the quintessential mom, mom thing to do. <laughs> I know. Oh my god. How many mo- how many times has my mom sent me a similar text for for a seemingly normal activity? Yep. I, I It just had to okay. be past 8 p.m. and send me an I'm okay text. Right. Tell me you're okay. Just keep texting me. <laughs> yeah. So Jonathan's mom loved him just like all of our moms love us, and that's exactly why she was so supportive of her son's decision of doing what he was doing. If you all want to see the screenshot of this text from nine years ago, go over to our Instagram or Twitter at Desi Crime. But little did Linda know. that this conversation she had just had with her son 35 minutes ago would be the last time she or anyone will ever hear from Jonathan she never received a response to this text she sent one week passed and then another and Jonathan's trek should have been long over when his family began to worry He was an experienced traveler so naturally everyone hoped that he'd be able to at least keep himself safe but to not hear from him for 14 days was odd something was definitely wrong and remember this was 2012 2013 not so long ago either he should have been able to text 
So Jonathan's parents go online to a website called indiamike.com which is essentially a forum for western travelers coming to India. On this forum Jonathan's father puts up a long detailed post which has since gained more than 2000 replies and been shared extensively. The post says, quote, Jonathan's Polen is 28 years old, 6 feet tall from Ireland. He was last seen in Rishikesh on February 3rd, 2012. He may have been planning to go on a trek. If you've seen Jonathan or know where he is, please contact me or his mum urgently. Thank you for your help. Please all of you keep in regular contact with your families. Even if they don't say it, they care for you and worry about you. End quote. Followed by the contact information for both his parents. Linda and David moved quickly to inform the appropriate authorities in India, including Uttarakhand police and the Irish consulate in Delhi of Jonathan's lack of contact. And by the evening of the 27th itself, the day that they put this post up, Jonathan was declared a missing person in India. However, despite these quick efforts, another week passed by, but Jonathan never sent her the I'm okay text she had asked for. Very quickly, Jonathan's friends and family began to mobilize to travel to India and bring him back safely. Some of the first people to arrive in India were Jonathan's father David, Linda's brother Eugene, and Jonathan's cousins Will and Liz, and a few of his closest friends. Within the next 24 hours, Uttarakhand police led by Inspector Kundan Negi began an investigation into Jonathan's disappearance by tracking his last steps while family and friends organized a search party. Initially, cops couldn't find any lead. Jonathan was all alone, knew nobody and spoke to very few people. So cops didn't even know where to begin. The hills of Rishikesh are the foothills of the Himalayas. steep and full of dense forest with little population to try and find him in these hills if he wasn't coming out on his own would be like finding a needle in a haystack despite the magnitude of the task that uttarakhand police was served with on the 11th of march of 2012 they finally found something while conducting a search in the hiking tracks of the hills the search party saw in front of them something unbelievable one of the scenes they had hoped they would not have to see in front of them on a secluded trail in the hills they could see all of jonathan's belongings a bag with jonathan's passport and money all still inside it and next to it jonathan's sleeping bag tidily laid out with a book kept on top of it the scene was easy it was so perfectly laid out aryan that it almost looked staged wait hold on so okay firstly i have goosebumps but that's <laughs> normal for every episode you narrate um prep just how many days has it been since he has been missing it's about a week and a few days a week and a few days yep how is it that in the hills of the himalayas mm-hmm. is a sleeping bag perfectly laid out a book on top his bag there it it, it does seem staged or, or it seems too good to be true at least yep it definitely did look staged it looked kind of out of the ordinary and i think 
I don't believe that anyone else put this there because it was it's almost as if Jonathan tried to hide his location under a lot of shrubs and grass and he was trying to be away from eyesight of the regular hikers which is why I think someone genuinely just didn't come across this until the cops came here trying to investigate it but again the scene was so perfectly laid out mm. it looked staged it looked like Jonathan would just come back right now mm. to the scene crawl into his sleeping bag with his book and simply continue with life in fact Jonathan's mom was the first one to notice how oddly peaceful everything looked when she said quote it was as if he had just gotten up and left them there and walked away end quote now at least the cops knew where jonathan was last at least they knew he did go on the trek so they began to search extensively in and around this specific region of the trail and as they searched more they found more slowly slowly they saw on the hiking trail some pieces of paper clearly belonging to jonathan such as his health card from back in ireland and a travel pass from his time in hong kong Attached here is an audio of Inspector Negi from many years later talking about Jonathan's disappearance as he revisits the location where all of these articles were found. ये वही जगह है जहाँ से उसका belonging मिला था और यहाँ से फिर हम नीचे गए थे अब तो थोड़ा साफ सुथरा हो गया है उस समय बहुत ज़्यादा वो थी यहाँ पे झाड़ियाँ झुड़ियाँ अब थोड़ा साफ हो गया है और change होता रहता है वहाँ पर हम बारिश के पानी से इसके change होता चला गया अब थोड़ा साफ सा है उस समय बहुत ज़्यादा झाड़ियाँ थी यहाँ पे ना रास्ता था जब उसने बिलोंगिंग करी तो ऐसा लगा कि उसने अपना सामान छिपाया और वो आएगा वापस ये उसमें कि वापस आऊँगा और तब मैं अपना सामान यहाँ से ले जाऊँगा खुद तो ये है कि आदमी जब तक कुछ मिलता है तब तक खुद तो जिंदा होने की है कि आदमी है ही For all of our English speaking listeners what inspector Negi is essentially saying is that he's pointing to the location where all of the stuff was found and saying that obviously over the last whatever 7 8 years between um, Jonathan's disappearance and the BBC article the geography of this region has obviously changed he's just reminiscing on how many people and organizations came forward to help in Jonathan's search party and how despite the effort there was really no avail Despite that Inspector Negi says as long as they know Jonathan is not dead they'll hold out hope for him being alive and try their best to still work on his case to see where his stuff was found i, I know the geography has of course changed but such a calm place yep yeah it's exactly where you'd want to go hiking yeah actually. true 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 if if that's what you want to achieve right exactly but while these promising initial discoveries seem to give people a lot of hope and these clues actually seemed very helpful for the next 10 months in Jonathan's case there was radio silence the search party grew as local organizations tried to help but to no avail according to an article by a website called cult education members of the india mike community circulated missing persons posters for jonathan in many different languages that other travelers printed and hung along the banana pancake trail a network of backpacker routes that stretched from goa to hanoi but there was no new leads no trace of jonathan this was until january 26th of 2013 
which is also coincidentally the one-year anniversary of when Jonathan was declared a missing person in India. On Jan 26th, Linda and David receive a tip. Someone has spotted Jonathan on a bus going from a place called Tiruvannamalai to Chennai in southern India. In fact, not only did this person spot Jonathan, they spoke to him on this bus for what they described as almost four hours. During this conversation, Jonathan tells this person that he's going to Malapuram, a coastal town near Chennai, by taking another connecting bus. David and Linda act quickly on this tip and go back to their original India mic post from a year ago and update it, saying that the search has now moved to Tamil Nadu and they provide a link for this new post. In this new post, Linda details what she knows about this new lead. She says, quote, After 10 months, this is obviously very exciting news. We are very hopeful that this was in fact Jonathan and we now need to refocus our search to this area. Here is the description we've received from the sighting. Very thin, with long hair, in slightly shabby saffron clothing, and carrying a small brown bag on his shoulder. What we need to find, number one, where he could be staying, number two, where he could be going, number three, does the description of his appearance or clothing have any special significance? As always, we are relying on India Mike for best advice, which is vital to a successful outcome in our search for Jonathan. I just need to know my son is alive and well. With your help, I am confident that I will get confirmation of this. End quote. I am sorry to say this, but thin, tall, white with long hair and orange clothes it's is the quintessential every. hippie in India experience. I agree. Almost every single time, that's the case. Yep. I agree. And I don't know, to a local, what was the proof this person presented for this actually being Mm. Jonathan? I think the surety with which Linda is saying they believe this is Jonathan, I think this tip, the person who gave this tip new information that obviously Linda is not revealing. Yeah, that's what I'm because of four hour conversation. A four hour conversation should have revealed a lot before this person actually went ahead and made this tip to begin with. Plus, she's a mom and I, I give way to despite the bias which sometimes plays a huge role I give way to you know just mom instincts where you can make you can make a judgment of one person's testimony versus another's one might seem fake and the other might seem legitimate however this post was uploaded nine years ago now since then there's been no news of Jonathan the leads felt silent Clues disappeared and any chance of finding Jonathan became smaller and smaller as rain washed over the train where Jonathan would have once walked. But a lack of leads doesn't mean a lack of theories about what went down on those hills nine years ago. Out of all the theories, there are two very, very common ones about what could have happened to Jonathan. The first one actually is quite straightforward. People believe Jonathan fell into the river Ganga, which was flowing right underneath the hiking trail where his belongings were found. These people believe he took his belongings out and walked over to the edge of the hill to look down. When his foot slipped, he fell and most probably died due to impact. His body was likely washed away by the river and never found. 
This is a plausible theory, but it kind of falls through when you understand the geography of the region where Jonathan's belongings were found. The part of the river Ganges flowing from that area was incredibly shallow and the current very low. Jonathan might have fallen and might have even died of impact, but to think that his body would never again be found because it drowned or was taken away by the river is kind of implausible. In fact, on our Instagram, I'll put up a picture taken from very close to the area where Jonathan's stuff was found. You can see the Ganges in this picture and see how shallow it is. However, some people report that the Ganges was in high tide during the time of Jonathan's disappearance. And so it wasn't implausible for him to have disappeared into the water. This, combined with the fact that some people have reported that Jonathan had lost a lot of weight in his last month, fallen sick in the days leading up to his disappearance, and may have even been limping heavily at one point, have led Jonathan's family to spending hours and hours scrolling through a website that compiles pictures of dead bodies found from the river Ganga, which are never identified or claimed. But there was no result. I think there are two things that need to be considered here and two separate arguments. One is the geography of Ganga as a river, which is this immaculate, big, dastardly river when it comes to how fast it flows. So I think that could explain why the body wasn't found. So that's argument number one. But argument number two is the demography of the region surrounding, you know, the banks of Ganga. To our listeners from around the world, it might be hard to explain, but scarcely populated in India still means quite heavily populated relative to other parts of the world. And so the foothills of the Himalayas and the banks of the Ganga aren't not populated. There are still people there, entire communities residing there and living there for decades upon decades. So it is not unusual or as Ashwara would say, it's not implausible to find the body. People, fishermen, just people living on the banks could have very well found his body. It's And understand, white bodies are not easy to come across in the river. I mean, I'm sure people die in the river and I'm sure most of the bodies found are, you know, Indian folks, so people of a darker skin tone. But a white body, a skin tone that is pale, would very easily stand out. Um, So it is surprising in a sense. Precisely. I think that sums up pretty much the case against this theory is that all things considered, it seems implausible to me and to a lot of Indians who've commented on Reddit threads related to Jonathan's death. This theory just doesn't stick. But this theory doesn't stick maybe because the second theory has captured the imagination of the whole country and has become very, very widely discussed. This theory revolves around a phenomena called the India Syndrome, discovered in the year 2000 by a French psychiatrist named Regis Ayrault, who also went on to write a book on it after noticing the experience of many Europeans when he served as the official psychiatrist for the French consulate in Delhi. Dr. Ayrault describes it as, quote, a cultural fantasy at play, end quote. He says, quote, India syndrome hits people from developed Western countries who are looking for a cultural space that is pure and exotic, where real values have been preserved. It's as if we're trying to go back in time, end quote. 
This phenomena is essentially a kind of psychosis where people from western countries looking for a spiritual experience come to India and get reeled into a life of cultish devotion in which they renounce all of their possessions from their sort of previous life if you can call it. Many people have come to speculate this is what happened to Jonathan and that he joined a religious or spiritual cult. What makes people think this is the trail of belongings found on the hiking track. Roland Hughes says in his BBC article, quote, "The discarded items appeared to point to one conclusion. Jonathan was doing what some spiritual tourists do in Rishikesh, deliberately shedding his possessions and his past life and renouncing who he was so he could follow a new path." End quote. It sounds like a snake shedding his skin. It does. It this really is does. really creepy. In fact, a few of Jonathan's own friends believe this theory too. For example, one friend whose name is Richard Pretorius, with whom he worked in Abu Dhabi, who also joined the search party for Jonathan, said that his first instinct was that Jonathan had moved into an ashram. He said, quote, "He was always seeking, learning, trying to be more human." End quote. In one of Jonathan's last emails sent to Richard on the 27th of December, he said, quote, "The blinkers have really been removed on this trip." End quote. According to the BBC article, Jonathan's cousin Liz McCauley, at the time a student in the Netherlands, was also part of the search team and said, quote, "As I gathered more and more information, the possibility that he maybe had been seeking a spiritual journey and the possibility that this was something he had chosen to do started becoming more real end quote this theory would also explain who the person on the bus was and that there truly is a possibility that that person was jonathan and maybe he's still alive and well today but this theory is one jonathan's mom rejects strongly i would assume that she would really want to believe this just because she it would help her alive. believe that yeah her child is alive yeah no that's not the case at all she said she was sure he was not going down this path the subject never came up in their conversations she says yes jonathan was interested in comparing different philosophies yes he had once had a passing interest in buddhism but he had not expressed an interest to his mother in pursuing this journey in india he had not sought a guru he had not been meditating despite jonathan's mom encouraging him to do so but you guys despite what people believe it's been 9 years to jonathan's disappearance there's a very high possibility that his parents might pass away without ever finding out what happened to their son on that fateful trip In fact Jonathan's not the only person this happens to coming to India are like I said countless tourists many of whom disappear some of them are found dead while others are never found at all did Jonathan really just slip off the cliff and become one of many who disappear that way in India and are never found or perhaps did he join a cult completely forgetting his family and previous life Is that so easy to do? Was that him on the bus 8 years ago, frail and in shabby clothes? Or was he a victim of a crime like many foreigners are? Perhaps the world will never find out, and perhaps the only person who knows the answers is Jonathan, alive somewhere, 
in some remote part of India, knowing the world is searching for him.